Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and people who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I've done nothing this week. Like, I've done all the work stuff that I have to do and lining up all the alley-oops for, like, future stuff. But, like, I needed a break. I guess I'm having an unplanned staycation. I've just been so overwhelmed that I just, I can't focus. All I've been doing is binging films and documentaries for the Tribeca Festival. I had to stop in the middle of an ASAP Rocky documentary. It's all about how he got arrested in Sweden. It's actually fascinating. And I'm not a huge ASAP fan. I just wanted to know the details. But I had to stop in the middle of the documentary and be like, yo, take this podcast. It's like Thursday at nine o'clock. And I've been up since 6 a.m. and didn't sleep well because that goddamn dog across the hall is going crazy. But I've been up all day watching documentaries and I was like, you might actually want to do some some work because you know how y'all do. If it doesn't go up by a certain time, y'all be like, D, D, D. Can y'all hear that fucking dog? Every 10 minutes, like clockwork. And the dog is across the hall. Like the dog does not live in my house. That's not my dog. That dog is in someone else's apartment and I can still hear that goddamn dog. Oh my God, I hate that goddamn dog. Anyway, I talked about this online and I try to avoid like overlapping conversations, but this one I think is worth the overlap. My friend got this dog, I want to say, what are we in June? Probably like 10 months ago, she got this dog, right? It's a beautiful dog. I've been to her house. I met the dog. He's a baby, but he's a good dog. Just wants nothing but like love and attention. He's off being trained right now. He's been away for, I think, like two weeks, but it's for the best because he's getting the training that he needs. So he like, you know, grows into an adult dog that knows how to like act right and doesn't jump on people when they come in the house. This is important. She posted a video the other day of herself walking the dog. And she was like, remind me to tell you about the time that this dude asked me to get rid of my dog. And I was like, wait, what? Because I just read a Facebook thread, maybe like no more than two weeks ago, of this woman. She posted about a guy who asked her to get rid of her dog. And I just thought that was like the craziest thing because I was like, people with dogs think of their dogs like family. Like you can't just walk into somebody's life and be like, yeah, so like, you know, get rid of your child, get rid of your brother. Like in a dog owner's head, that's what you're asking when you say, like, could you get rid of your dog? I was like, that's just crazy. And in general, like maybe I'm just a territorial person, but you can't walk in my house and ask me to get rid of anything other than the trash. I don't care if you don't like the lighting. I don't care if you don't like my bed. I don't care if you don't like the arrangement or the feng shui is off. It's not your fucking house. You don't get to walk into my space and tell me to remove or rearrange or or do anything like no. But I called my friend after I saw the video and I was like, I'm sorry, what? Where is this coming from? So she tells me she was out at this bar and she was waiting for her drink for a really long time. And this guy noticed he struck up a conversation. He bought her a drink. They spoke for a while. They had nice communication. He was like, I would love to talk with you further. See you again. Take you out sometime. She was like, bet. So they exchanged numbers. Say this was like Friday. He calls her on Saturday. She's running her errands. She was like, we had a long conversation about like all sorts of things. The next day, 
He calls her again and he was like, hey, what are you doing on Wednesday? I would love to see you again. I want to take you out. So she was like, bet. So she, they keep talking. He's asking her various things about her life as you do when you get to know someone. And she was like, in passing, I mentioned that my dog is away at the trainer. And so he was like, okay. And she was like, and we moved to another subject. Day three, they get on the phone and he tells her he's the type of man who knows what he wants. He likes her energy. He wants something serious with her. In her head, she was like, ooh, red flag, because like I just met you 48 hours ago. I haven't even been on like an official date with you, and you're talking about you want to get serious? She was like, but I'm going to hear him out and see what else he has to say. The next thing he says is, you're going to have to get rid of your dog, though, because I don't like the idea of your dog being trained by another man me and you can get a dog together because I don't want a dog that another man trained living in my house. And she was like, oh, this nigga's crazy. So she basically told him that and was like, sir, never again, good day and goodbye. And she was like, I have blocked his number. I have not spoken to him since. Like, that's a wrap. Like, obviously this is some crazy shit, right? But I was trying to figure out, like, where is this coming from? Because, like, this girl just happens to have a thread a couple weeks ago about a man asking her to get rid of her dog. And now my friend is talking about it. I'm like, is this coincidental? So I share this story on social media. And it's tons of women with dogs who, as of late, men have been telling them they need to get rid of their dogs. May or may not have found the source of it. You know where it's coming from, right? You have a guess, right? Him. Him, that public nuisance. I don't use his name. The cult leader, the men, and a whole bunch of women too have just been flocking to and just listening to his dumb ass, misogynistic, hateful advice about relationships. My God, the man hates women and men love him specifically for that. The cult leader, apparently as part of his um, his advice, When men or women come to him with stories about women who don't want to make, I would say, massive life adjustments in order to accommodate a partner, always a male partner. Women are expected to jump through hoops, rearrange their whole lives, give up anything that might possibly bring them joy in order to just entirely focus on having a man. Mm. He's not the only one that thinks that way. But apparently when women express pushback about rearranging their lives or doing whatever hoop jumping that he suggests, he tells them that they're going to be single and they, (laughs) this is so stupid. It's so offensive, but he tells them that they're going to be single and they might as well just go ahead and get a dog. And then he plays audio of a dog barking. Also, apparently part of what his advice is, is that men should beware of women who own pets, but dogs especially, because women, especially those who don't have children or don't have a man in their life, can become very nurturing about their dogs and they can start giving their love and attention that should be going to a man to their pets. So he warns men to beware of women with dogs because the woman may not be 
emotionally open or have enough attention or time for him because of the attention that she's been giving to her pet. I was like, y'all niggas jealous of dogs now? Of pets? I thought it sounded crazy. And I still think it sounds crazy. Put up this conversation on social media. Lots of feedback in the comments, almost all from women. Everyone agrees, this is fucking nuts. The idea of a man asking a woman to get rid of her dog. Men come to me in my DMs and was like, nah, you got to understand the whole issue. I was like, what's there to say? Telling a woman to get rid of her dog is crazy. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That part is crazy. But the idea of women doing the most for their dogs, there's something to that, D, that you need to discuss. I said, tell me about it, which, which y'all need me to convey. So the guys, and there were some in my DMs, and then I reached out to some others, and, and they had stories. And the stories were consistent. They were like, yo, some women, not all, some women with dogs do the goddamn most. One of the gentlemen I spoke to, he was like, yo, we couldn't go anywhere without her bringing the dog. The dog went to brunch. The dog goes to the movies. Any place we go, she brings that dog. Okay, I see you. I feel you. Another thing, you go to the house, the dog is there. Now, the dog got to come and sniff you, feel you out, all that stuff, right? The lady sits on the couch. We go to Netflix and chill. I go to sit next to her. She's like, that's the dog spot. You rather you want to cuddle with the dog instead of the man in your house? In my head, I was like, yo, make that say something about her interest in you. I don't know. Because I feel like even if I'm really into my dog, if I'm really into this man, I'm going to tell the dog, like, you get this side or you you go down there or you go to the other room because I don't know what's about to happen here. Another gentleman, he was like, yo, we in the house. We go up to her room. The dog is there. I'm like, yo. Can you, you know, put the dog outside? Like, can, like this is this is uncomfortable for me. And she was like, yeah, but if I put the dog out, then the dog is just going to scratch at the door. The dog is going to cry. Like, it's cool. Don't worry about it. And he was like, uh, I wanted to smash. So I was just like, okay, cool. I'll go along with it. But he was like, yo, like, we're in the act. The dog is just staring at us. He was like, another time, same situation. The dog is coming over. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. She seems to be enjoying it because she's making noise. The dog comes over and starts licking her face because he thinks that like she's in pain. And she's like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. And it's like pushing the dog away. But he was like, yo, like now my shit is off because like the dog is in our business. Gentleman told me about trying to spend the night at the house and the dog was sleeping on the bed. And he was like, the dog is on the bed. And she was like, oh, no, it's OK. That's where he sleeps. And he was like, nah, I'm not cool with like the dog sleeping on the bed. And so she was like, well, this is what me and the dog do because the dog lives here. So you can't come in and like dictate where the dog is going to sleep. Like you're the guest, not the dog. And he was like, yo, this is wild. Like I, I to sleep with you, I got to sleep with the dog. He was like, so like when you hear men complain about like, you know, be wary of women who have dogs. It's not just some territorial shit about insecurity about the dog or jealous of the dog, the attention that the dog is getting. He was like, some women do the most with the dog. The territorial thing did come up, though, because one of the guys was talking about, I'm not an insecure dude. I don't I don't have territory issues with a dog, but the dog can absolutely have territorial issues with the man. He was like, I'm at this woman's house. 
the dog is not getting enough attention. The dog is mad that I'm there. I ain't done nothing to this dog. The dog won't stop barking. The dog is not getting enough attention. He's like, the dog ended up shitting on the floor to get her attention away from me. And he was like, yo, this shit is crazy. And I was like, I could see how that would be like problematic for you. I, I could feel them. I could feel the guys on this one. The one about like the dog and the sex thing completely threw me off. I was like, really? People have their dogs in the room when they're having sex? And he was like, absolutely. I've never had a dog. I never had pets growing up. I remember asking my mom, maybe when I was like eight, nine, and I was like, mommy, can we get a dog? And the look on her face and her response with so much disdain, she was like, in my house? And that just cut off all conversation right there. And I was like, oh, okay, so I'm not getting a dog and I'm not going to ask again. This isn't even like, no, but it's possible. This is just like, get out my face and stop asking me stupid questions. So it's like, oh, yeah, mommy's not with the shits. Okay. So no, no dog for me. But yeah, I like the guys had a valid point. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, that's a lot. The dog sleeping on the bed? That's, I've never had a dog. So I don't know. Like, is that normal? Is that sane? I don't think I would let my dog sleep on the bed. I think the dog would have its, like, doggy bed. But... Apparently, it's not weird to others because according to the guys, a lot of y'all are doing that. In black excellence news, Simone Biles is on the cover of Glamour looking like money. She looks so good. I had to go look and see who shot the cover. Kennedy Carter. She also shot the Beyonce covers. I want to say for British Vogue. But she shot the hell out of Simone Biles. Like, I mean, she's a pretty girl to begin with. Don't get me wrong. Was it Simone Biles that American Vogue shot and her skin just didn't look right? I mean, this is a beautiful girl. So when I say this, I want to be clear that I'm speaking about the photographer and the production of the shoot. I'm not criticizing Simone Biles. But my girl looked ashy. And I was like, my girl, not an ashy girl. She's a brown girl. And when you moisturize a brown girl, that girl glistens. And I was like, y'all, the light's not right. The light's not right. But the light on this cover, the light is right. She looks like a delectable brownie. She's like gorgeous on this shoot. In the cover shot, she's got a really long ponytail and they weaved red, white, and blue ribbons into the ponytail. So it's very like Rapunzel-esque. It's beautiful. She's a beautiful brown girl and she's got on this all white outfit. So she looks like a little angel. The red, white, and blue is for the upcoming Olympics. It starts at the, it's at the end of July, I believe. So most of the article is about the Olympics. There was some questioned as to whether it would happen. She was thinking that it would be her last Olympics, but then she also thinks that she may stay on for Paris in 2024. So options, but there are so many pictures and she looks really, really good. And it talks about her life during the pandemic, some other stuff. It's worth a read and it's definitely worth checking out for the pictures, but she looks really, really good on the cover of Glamour. I guess this qualifies as black excellence. I have mixed feelings about it. Juneteenth, is officially a federal holiday. It's been signed into law. So, yay. I know the significance of Juneteenth. I know it's celebrated really big in Texas and a few of the surrounding states. I never celebrated it in Maryland. I knew what it was. But now it's an official federal holiday. I guess I'm supposed to be happy. Without context, I'm not mad that Juneteenth is being acknowledged, like it's an important day. I mean, with a fucked up history, enslaved people getting their freedom 
albeit two years late because white folks didn't tell them they were actually free, which is the fucked up part about it. But the official end of slavery in the United States for everybody is worth celebrating. In context, I'm just kind of clueless of like how we got here. Because I don't remember like the big push among Black people to make Juneteenth a national holiday. I know we talked about, you know, Black Lives Matter and Stop Killing Us. There were all those protests last summer, which is when white people realized racism existed. There was supposed to be like a George Floyd justice and policing bill. That didn't happen. I know there was a big push for like an anti-lynching bill. That didn't happen. We wanted protection for voting rights. Still, no, no, that didn't happen either. Minimum wage, a federal minimum wage. No, no, not that. Student loan, student loan forgiveness. People talked about that. That was something a lot of people wanted. No, a ban on assault weapons, some sort of of gun control, gun reform, something. No, no, we didn't get that either. But we got Juneteenth as a federal holiday. So, yeah, maybe. I keep seeing this Malcolm X quote that's floating around. And because of Malcolm X quote, despite him being assassinated, what, like 50 years ago? As relevant as ever. The quote is, the white man will try to satisfy us with symbolic victories rather than economic equity and real justice. I was like, were you seeing into the future? Oh, no, no, you weren't. You were talking about what's happening in the 60s. And here we are. All these years later, we've got this symbolic victory of like, yay, Juneteenth. But economic equity, real justice, no, we don't, we don't have that. You know how um, <laughs> the Senate passed the bill for Juneteenth, I want to say like two days ago, and then the House got it, and then they passed it, and then Biden signed it into law earlier today. And all the major networks are talking about Juneteenth and there's pictures everywhere of of Congress of members of Congress celebrating, patting themselves on the back for the passage of this Juneteenth holiday because you know they've just done so much good. And one of the stories that is being overshadowed by by this new Juneteenth holiday is that in Texas, Texas, where Juneteenth originated, because it originated in Galveston, Texas. In Texas, the ground zero for Juneteenth. The governor, that dirty motherfucker, Greg Abbott, he signed a law on June 15th that would stop teachers from talking about racism or current events or public policy or social issues considered controversial. And that law goes into effect September 1st. So teachers, and I mean all teachers, including social study teachers, They can't talk about the concept that one race or sex is inherently superior to another. They can't talk about the concept that an individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or anything else based on race or sex. They can't talk about the concept that slavery in the United States was central to the founding of this country. And they definitely, explicitly may not talk about the 1619 Project because it talked about the consequences of slavery and centered Black people in the narrative of America. 
Texas is one of five states already that have put laws on the books, essentially banning critical race theory. Everyone keeps hearing this term thrown around. There are 21 other states that have also introduced bills that would that would ban teaching or restricting discussions of racism. So in the passage of Juneteenth, making it a federal holiday in five states already, you can't really explain exactly what Juneteenth is and why it's so significant to kids. In 21 other states, literally 21, 5, 26, more than half the states in the country are trying to ban discussions that would actually explain what Juneteenth is. But congratulations on the passage of this federal law, though. So critical race theory. I didn't know what it was. I had to go Google and look it up because I was like, white folks keep calling it one thing. The governor of Nebraska, he weighed in on Twitter about critical race theory. And he's a Republican. And he said, you know, people are promoting critical race theories. And he talked about it having Marxist roots. He said critical race theory is an attack on the country's core values and the effect is to pit the American people against one another rather than building a more perfect union. And I was like, "Mm, this sounds an awful lot like Colin Kaepernick. Remember he went and kneeled because he was tired of the police killing black people and then somehow Trump And his Republican minions spun that whole thing into he doesn't respect the flag and it's disrespectful to veterans. Like these leaps, these leaps, they're not logical. They're not even associated. Like you really just made some shit up. That's why I was like, let me go look up what critical race theory is. Because when white people start talking about, oh, it's so terrible. It's so terrible. It should never happen. It's going to destroy America. And I was like, this is probably some shit I should be advocating for. Anytime white people get really upset and be like, oh, this is going to destroy our country. I was like, oh, y'all trying to give black people money or rights? Which one is it? So I went and I read this um, on Education Week of all places. And essentially, critical race theory is basically the shit black people believe anyway. It's not like a stretch of concept. It's a theory that's more than 40 years old. It's not new, even though the term is being thrown around as of late, like it just popped onto the radar, but it's a 40-year-old concept. But the core idea is that racism is a social construct and that racism is systemic. So the example that they gave on the site was, is that racism is not just a product of like individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in legal systems and policies. So it's more than just like a random racist here or there, but it's embedded in the DNA of America, which I was like, yes, Black people been saying that forever. I didn't know there was a name for it. I didn't know there was a whole theory behind it, but yes. Okay. The example that they gave on Education Week was, think about how in the 1930s, Government officials literally drew lines around areas deemed poor financial risk, often explicitly due to the racial composition of the inhabitants. Banks would subsequently refuse to offer mortgages to people in those areas, usually black. So government officials, banks being in cahoots, that black people are not able to get mortgages is not just based on one individual loan officer being racist and saying no. It goes all the way up to bank managers and government officials declaring areas poor financial risk. There's more to it. 
But the systemic part of it is what really seems to be pissing off these white racist legislators and fueling this knee-jerk reaction to create these new laws that ban kids from actually learning the truth about this country and how evil it is, especially to black people, but also to Native American people, basically anybody who comes with melanin. These kids that are in school now that ain't going to be taught shit, you think people are stupid now? They're going to be dumb as shit. Like they're just not going to have any context. Like you go online now and and like you have a a random conversation about anything that involves race and like you end up talking to like Trump supporters and you see like how woefully skewed their vision of the world is. Like they just, they just have no context for anything. And they actually might've learned some shit in school. Now we just talking about like banning basic conversations about anything. These kids going to be stupid as shit. And I kind of wonder, like, how much of this is related to, like, the mass protests of George Floyd. Stay with me here. But the idea that, like, white people are going to, like, you know, by the tens of thousands, the biggest protest in L.A., it was like 60,000 people in the street. And most of them were white. And I wonder if, like, there's an idea that, like, you know, we've taught people too much We've talked too much about systemic racism. We've talked too much about white privilege. We've talked too much about the actual history of this country and the atrocities that happened to black people and Native American people. And now there's a whole generation of white people who are like, yo, white people are fucked up. Like, I wonder how much of this banning of critical race theory and and all the things that they're assigning under what it means. I wonder if that's like a direct pushback to like too many woke white people. Like we done told them too much. They out here protecting black people. They not upholding whiteness. What the fuck? That wasn't supposed to happen. Let's stop this before it takes hold for another generation. Mm. But happy Juneteenth, y'all. If you can't hear the sarcasm in my voice, this is me telling you that was sarcastic. Rita Moreno, she's in hot water this week, sort of. Last weekend, when I was binge watching all those documentaries for the Tribeca Festival, I watched hers. She has a documentary called Just a Girl Who Decided to Go For It that debuted at the festival. It's a really good documentary. She is... 87, 88, she is bright and vibrant and full of life. Like, she's just a joy. I believe she is the only Latino, Latina, to have an EGOT. I think her, Whoopi, and John Legend are the only people of color. Don't quote me on that. There actually might be an Asian man that has one. But Rita Moreno has a coveted Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. She is a living legend. She's also Puerto Rican, and she went on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert to promote her new documentary. And during the course of the conversation, and Rita brings up, not um, not Stephen Colbert, she says, can we talk for a second about the criticism about Lin-Manuel? He is obviously the creator of In the Heights, which has gotten tons of pushback for its uh, lack of representation and its colorism issues in the film. Lin-Manuel is also one of the producers of Moreno's documentary. He's also a friend of hers. 
So she brings up his name and she brings up his film and she says, um, the criticism that really upsets me. You know, you can never do right. It seems she goes on to say that she thinks the backlash against him and against his film is unwarranted. She says, quote, I'm simply saying, can't you just wait a while and leave it alone? It would be so nice if they hadn't come up with that and left it alone just for now. They're really attacking the wrong person. Now, if anybody else had said that, they would be handed their ass for it. Rita Moreno, again, is a living legend. So even when I saw people talking about this interview, they treaded lightly because they were like, well, you know, it's Rita Moreno and she's like 87 and she's like old school and 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 she's Rita Moreno. So so people were very respectful in their critique. I will be as well because, again, she's Rita MF Moreno. It was weird to me, her take on this, because I just watched her documentary and for the first, I would say, decade that she was in Hollywood, she complained about the roles that she was assigned. She was like, I always was forced to play like this dusky native and talk in this like broken English accent. I was never a wife, always a mistress to some white man. They would put me in brown face. I'd be scantily clad. And I was like, I'm really happy to to be in Hollywood because I always wanted to be an actress. But she was like, this is not what I had in mind. She was like, I, I looked up to Elizabeth Taylor for her audition. She wanted to be the Puerto Rican Elizabeth Taylor, She wanted, which to me says that she wanted big roles and to be a leading lady and to be admired for her beauty. And she laments that that wasn't possible because of the perception of Puerto Ricans or Latinos in general at that time. And she was really frustrated by it. And then she talks about how she did West Side Story in the 1960s. And she was like, you know, it was a breakout role for her. I think that's what she won her Oscar for. But she was like, she was like, even in the film, the character that I played is very much like, you know, pro-American, like down to Puerto Rico. But she was like, and I got it. But she was like, I had to go in and talk to the writers and being like, I can't say some of the things that you want me to say about Puerto Rico. Like this is clearly written by white men. And I'm from Puerto Rico. I know my character's not supposed to like it, but I can't disparage it. Like, I can't say these things as a Puerto Rican woman about Puerto Rico. So it's like, you you know what that fight was not being seen. You know what that, that fight was being misrepresented. You had a sense of dignity of, in being Puerto Rican. And I, I understand that, you know, this is the person who produced your film and who you consider a friend. Like, okay, I get it. But at the same time, you should get it. You should get why this is problematic. So she says this on Colbert. There's a huge backlash against it. And she said it on Tuesday. And by the following day, on Wednesday night, she put up a statement on her Twitter account and she's expressing her regret for being, quote, dismissive of black lives that matter in our Latin community. I'm incredibly disappointed with myself. It is so easy to forget how celebration for some is lament for others. I don't know how you missed it the first time, Rita. To be honest, because she said this on Tuesday. I don't know if Colbert shoots his show the same day it airs or the day before. Her, so her show aired on Tuesday. Her friend, 
her 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 producer of her documentary, the creator of of In the Heights, he'd already apologized for the colorism and lack of representation issue. Like you're out here defending someone who's already come out and been like, yeah, I know I was wrong. Sorry. Literally, he said sorry. On Monday afternoon, after the box office receipts came in for In the Heights, it was projected to do 20 million. It did 11. That's no good. And also for people who are like, well, yeah, but it was also streaming on HBO. Even the studio came out and was like, yeah, HBO streaming wasn't the problem. Apparently, even in the pandemic, those shows that do well at the theater also do well on streaming. It's not an either or. Either the numbers are up on both, or the numbers are down on both. HBO has not released the numbers for In the Heights. But the studio behind In the Heights came out and was like, no, the streaming wasn't the issue. So just keep that in mind. But they didn't get the numbers that they wanted. And Monday afternoon, Miranda released a very lengthy statement on, um, on Twitter. He said, I started writing In the Heights because I didn't feel seen. And over the past 20 years, all I wanted was for us, all of us, to feel seen. I'm seeing the discussion around Afro-Latino representation in our film this weekend. And it's clear that many in our dark-skinned Afro-Latino community don't feel sufficiently represented within it, particularly among the leading roles. I can hear the hurt and frustration over colorism of feeling unseen in the feedback. He said, quote, I promise to do better in my future projects and I'm dedicated to the learning and evolving we all have to do to make sure we are honoring our diverse and vibrant community. This was also in his statement, actually a little higher up, but I think it's important to say. He said, in trying to paint a mosaic of this community, we fell short. I'm truly sorry. I, I hear him. I hear him. And I look forward to the next project to see, you know, if he does anything different. I tend to like his work in theory. I didn't see Hamilton on Broadway. I didn't like what I saw on Disney Plus. I never finished it. And I still haven't gone back to watch In the Heights, even though like I'm obsessed with Anthony Ramos. And my friends who watched it, they were like, you know, even understanding that it's problematic, it's still a good film. It's an engaging film. You can critique something and say this is problematic about it without saying like the whole thing sucks. So eventually I'm going to watch this film. I just haven't yet. I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of disappointed in Moreno for like jumping out there and making this controversy unnecessarily. Because I'm like, he'd already apologized. Maybe she didn't know that. Maybe she did. I don't know. But I always find, and this is my last point about this, because I'm also sick of talking about this movie. I try not to talk about things more than twice, but this is like an ongoing story. It just won't end. And I probably said this before too. So there's a really nasty habit that women have that we all should rid ourselves of, of jumping out to defend men. I've seen it so many times where men do something or it's speculative that a man has done something inappropriate, bad, crazy, whatever. And a woman jumps out to defend him. And then a man ends up admitting to it, apologizing for it. And then people forgive him, but they always hold that woman to a different standard. The most recent, I think, example of it is, uh, what's his name? Who's that dude I hate? Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan says a bunch of terrible things about Meghan Markle. The next day, the weatherman who replaced him, he gets in Piers Morgan's ass, rightfully so. Piers Morgan gets upset and storms off camera. The issue comes up on The View. The issue comes up on, not The Real, not The View. What is the name of that show? The Talk. Sharon Osbourne has a goddamn meltdown 
The show goes on hiatus for two weeks. Sharon gets fired from the show, but we really haven't heard a peep from her since then. Piers Morgan says he quit Good Morning Britain. I think he got fired instead, but he still has his mouthpiece. He took a licking and kept on ticking. Sharon, that wasn't her fate. She said some wild shit, jumped out there for him, lost her job, lost her platform, lost her livelihood. I mean, she got a payout for it, but still. She'd been on the talk forever and a day, either because she really liked the job or there were no additional options coming her way. Either way, she was there and now she's not. And the reason she's not is jumping out there to defend Piers Morgan and sounding like a whole Miss Millie when she did it. Now, Rita Moreno, she's out here trying to promote her new documentary, which is actually really good. And no one's talking about her new documentary. Everyone's talking about this shit she said on Colbert that she really shouldn't have said and that she said after Lin-Manuel Miranda had already apologized for it. Like, what are you defending? He already said he was wrong. Come on. Now, people slandering her good name. She's 86 years old. She should be promoting her documentary. She should be twirling about her EGOT status. And she should be doing a little dance or two because she likes to do that. I'm not saying like Latina woman dance. I'm saying she likes to dance. It wows the people that she's 86 years old and can still get it, get it. Like, this is what we should be discussing. Not you and your whole wrong take on colorism and representation after you spent your whole career upset about being brown-faced and the lack of roles you were able to get. Because although you were as white as any white woman, you wasn't white. How do you not get the colorism representation issue just off the bat? Some people like to see forests. Some people like to see trees. Come on, Abuela. Come on. Come on. Um, I have one more thing I want to talk about. Actually, two. Actually, three. But I'm going to save one of them for next week. We're already running long today, so I'm going to save this Michael Costello issue. Chrissy Teigen is a saga. I don't even really like talking about her, but Michael Costello tried it, and then Leona Lewis tried it with him, and I was like, you know what? Just cancel everybody. Everybody's an asshole, but that's not the one I'm going to talk about. I want to talk about Mr. Chris, Chris Harrison from The Bachelor. We talked about Mr. Chris a lot earlier this year because I was recapping The Bachelor online and then there was so much fallout from The Bachelor with Chris and his terrible interview with the former Bachelorette, Rachel Lindsay, where he defended a contestant from The Bachelor who'd gone to a plantation party, which I was like, in what world? Why didn't y'all just throw that girl under the bus and let her be the scapegoat for all the racism of the show? And clearly there's bigger racism issues for the show than her. But I was like, I mean, that's what everybody does. It's like they make one person a scapegoat and they're like, oh, we got rid of them. We can go back to like business as usual. Another example, men rarely do this, but like he jumped out there to defend that chick. Meanwhile, she gets picked by The Bachelor. He does actually diss her on national television in, in like an after show. But then they end up together. And as of now, they've been spotted like on both coasts, like palling around in shorts, eating ice cream and drinking beer. They're together together. And now he ain't got no job. It was announced, I guess last week, that he was officially out of the Bachelor franchise. After his comments defending racist Rachel, not to be confused with Rachel Lindsay, that's black Rachel. Racist Rachel is white Rachel, plantation princess Rachel, same person. After he defended her, the show was the show was done shooting, but they hadn't done the after show. So they pulled him as a host for the after show. 
And then for the new season of The Bachelorette, they announced that he wasn't going to be the host for that either, but it was expected that he was going to come back for the next reiteration of The Bachelor. That didn't happen. And The Hollywood Reporter has a really good breakdown of why it didn't. Um, I did not watch Chris Harrison when he went on uh, Good Morning America. He had a sit-down interview with Michael Strahan, and it didn't go so well. I didn't watch the interview. I just remember the quote that came after from Strahan, and he said, his apology is his apology, but it felt like I got nothing more than a surface response. Only time will tell if there's any meaning behind his words. So the Hollywood Reporter spoke to a bunch of folks and they talked to one person off the record who works with the Bachelor franchise. And they said that Strahan's response to Harrison's interview, quote, that interview was the nail in the coffin for Harrison's return. So after that, the producers of the show, along with the network, iced him out, according to people behind the scenes. So Harrison hired a lawyer and he was able to get a settlement, I believe out of ABC or maybe the production house. I'm not sure. But Deadline says that he settled for mid-range eight-figure payoff. So at least 10 mil. But another source said that number was inflated, although the actual amount was still sizable. So he's out. This is one of the first times I've ever seen like a white man take like a huge tumble like that over racism. We've seen white men tumble over Me Too, but I can't remember the last time I saw a white man, a white man of this stature tumble over racism. I I thought what he said was shitty. I, I thought defending a racist was, you know, a weird PR take. And one way or another, I don't care if he has this job or not. He's he's a middle-aged white dude. Like, he'll get another job. He'll be all right. If nothing else, he has this $10 million settlement or ballpark. Like, it's not like he's going to be starving. He'll be fine. I don't know. I'm not going to say I didn't think it was fireable. But I just think it's really crazy that, like, the actual racist, like, the person who did the racist shit, like, the person who went to the plantation party, landed on her feet with the black guy. And then the white guy who defended her is the one that took the fall. Only in America. That's wildness. It seems there's a new season of The Bachelorette airing right now with Katie. I could totally be making that up, but I think it's accurate. I'm not watching. There's going to be a black girl Bachelorette. Um, the teacher, Hot Air Balloon. Don't ask me what that girl's name was. I called her Hot Air Balloon that entire show, and she will continue to be called Hot Air Balloon because that's the date that she went on with Matt. But she's going to be a Bachelorette this fall. So I'll tune back in when it's time for her to find a mate. That should be interesting. But I only watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Anything from The Bachelor franchise. I only watch it when there's black people involved. I'm not really all that interested when The Bachelor or The Bachelorette is not black. So, womp womp. So that's our episode. As I said earlier, we'll talk about this saga with Michael Costello and Chrissy Teigen. Next week, we'll also talk about Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. She wrote an essay that she published on her website. It is obscene, a true reflection in three parts. And it is many, many, many things. And it is so many things that I need to sit on it for a minute and research it too and process it to make sure that I have the right take on it. Because I read it when it first came out 
And I had to read it on Twitter because literally the whole literary world went to her website to read this essay at once and her site crashed. So I'm reading like these screenshots of like 300 words at a time on Twitter to read the whole damn thing. Took forever. But in a first read, it sounds like a well-educated drag. There was a, a, a friendship, mentor-mentee relationship that fell apart. But there's so many issues that play into why that relationship fell apart. There's issues of celebrity and fame and the power that comes with it and how it's been wielded in this instance and who owes who what. When a friendship, mentorship, relationship is severed, what are the rules of disengagement? There's a lot here. I could probably do a whole episode just about that. But if you have a moment, I implore you to go read this essay. It is masterful writing, even though it's based on real life events. I mean, she's a she's an author. She can weave a story out of anything. It's a filthy read. Like it's up there with anything that a lecture could deliver you. It's a dirty read. But was it necessary? Was it the right thing to do? Some say yes, some say no. That's why I need to think about it. And that's why we need to talk about it next week. So that is the episode this week. If you've not picked up your merchandise for Don't Waste Your Pretty, please do. We have the pink and red shirts left in 2X. I think those are the only ones that are available. And then we have the white tees and the white Vs. I think white tees are only an extra large and small, but the white Vs, we have a few left in all sizes. So pick them up. If you haven't, pick up your mugs. If you're still drinking coffee in this heat, I am. Iced coffee. Everybody isn't. And if you need some ratchet and respectable in your life, between now and next week, you can follow me at Demetria L. Lucas on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Not so much Facebook. I think I get unbanned from Facebook tomorrow. I think I might have to stop using Facebook because this is the second time I've been banned over some dumb shit. So I'm kind of just over it. But yeah, but you can follow me there if you need a little extra Demetria in your life. And what else? I think that's not everything, but that's what I'm giving. I'll talk to you again next week. Okay, bye.